Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Louis Basile. He is the founder of the Arizona-based fast casual Wildflower. Wildflower is one of the OGs in the fast casual industry, as Louis founded this concept way back in 1995, when most people didn't even know the term fast casual, and when brands like Chipotle and Panera Bread were years away from being household names. Since then, he's expanded to 16 locations, all in Arizona, and he's refined the model to emphasize high-quality menu items and a strong focus on hospitality. Lewis joined the podcast live in Amelia Island, Florida, where we were attending the Prosper Forum, and he joined to talk about how the fast casual industry has evolved in the past three decades and what keeps him up at night as he continues to drive the business forward. In this conversation, you will learn more about how even small innovations can grow into game-changing revolutions, why restaurant operators should be more worried about the future of the supply chain, and why everyday affordability is the first thing you should worry about when growing your business. Jumping now into my interview with Louis Basile, the founder of Wildflower. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my seven takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. All right, Louis Basile, the founder of Wildflower Bread Company. Louis, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate being here. So, Wildflower is a family-owned business. Uh, we can talk about it later, but we just rebranded um, in 18, and we dropped the bread company name just, um, just to Wildflower now with the tagline of Eat, Sip, and Enjoy because, you know, really we're a restaurant, right? And while bread is a competitive and really integral part, that naturally leavened all sourdough-based breads, um, really the name didn't do justice to the idea that we serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And really, we're one of the few fast casual restaurants out there that actually execute very specific menus for those day parts. So it's been really good for us, and it really resonates with the consumer. So Wildflower, 27 years old now. Yeah, wow. Um, Locally founded in Arizona, a family-owned business, uh, 16 restaurants only in the state. Um, We also are backward integrated, so we make our own bread. Um, and we have a wholesale bread line, so we sell those breads to hotels, uh, to country clubs, to other restaurants on a non-branded basis because as a true entrepreneur, once somebody buys my goods and services, I don't feel like I should tell them what to do with the bread. So if they want to sell that bread a week later, that's their choice. Um, but if they were to have our brand on it, then we wouldn't be able to allow that to happen um, at the Wildflower we don't serve any day old bread. Every all the bread's made fresh every day, um, and uh, that's really uh, what the wildflower is about. You, you've been such an icon in the fast casual world because twenty seven years. I mean, you were really one of the true founders of the fast casual category. You've been um, very active in the industry, uh, fast casual events, and and being a part of the evolution of this industry. And I'm wondering if you can comment on that. Just what you've seen over twenty seven years, the fast casual industry what it's become. Could you have ever envisioned that 27 years ago? Well, let's really start back when I was a little boy and, you know, my dad owned a restaurant and that's how I started. So, um, I was working, I've been working in a restaurant since I've been five years old. So it goes back to 1965. And I can remember, um, 
uh, I like to say that my father was way ahead of his time. And, you know, he was doing DoorDash and Uber Eats, you know, back in the 60s. And uh, we used to deliver food, not, not, of course, by car, not with an app, not with anything, but good old-fashioned phone. They'd call up and they'd go, hey, I want a cup of coffee and an English muffin toasted, and we would deliver it to you. You'd walk, right? And when you got to the uh, delivery spot, um, you'd brought the food to the customer. You told them how much it was. And if they liked you or they thought you did it quickly enough, they gave you a tip. And I can remember the first time that somebody gave me a dollar. I was eight years old, and I thought, wow, all I did is say thank you, and I smiled a little, and this guy gave me a dollar? This is incredible. And I really believe that that was the moment, quite frankly, that I was hooked in hospitality. So we'll race forward, right? So I've spent my entire career in the restaurant business. Um, so really, you know, look, when I think about my career, I was at Old Bon Pen for a while from 1981 through 94. We grew that from three bakeries, turned that into a restaurant concept, and we grew that to 255 restaurants, right? Um, that really, at some level, started Fast Casual because the innovation there was, if you think about it, this is probably before you were even born, in 1980, the only lettuce that was being put on a sandwich was iceberg and when mm-hmm. we put romaine on that we thought that was incredibly innovative and people really were excited about that so the restaurant industry we're not look we're not curing cancer here but the reality is is it's small innovations like that that have led to where we're going to talk about fast casual is today and as it's evolved over time right so Back in the mid-1990s, when Fast Casual was just being coined, it was it was shocking to people, right? Um, the only thing they knew was either quick service, right? Uh, go to a McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, whatever, you know, Arby's, Jack in the Box, whatever you want. Or you went to casual dining or you went to fine dine. Now, all of a sudden, this new thing comes in, Fast Casual, and it's really depending on the food quality, depending on the ambiance, and depending on the influence of the hospitality, really crossed the line between, quite frankly, all of it. I mean, some people would argue that it's, to this day, just as good as a fine dining experience, except you're giving me my time back, right? That's the key part in the beginning, was that the food quality was elevated, the ambiance was elevated, and depending on how you took the your approach to fast casual at Wildflower, we've always been using real plates and delivering to the table. So really, other than having to stand in line, get your own beverage, it was very similar to a full dining experience, whether you consider it a casual or fine dine. So that's where we started, right? That's where fast casual started. And then, of course, like anything, as it becomes more popular, you get smaller players that find these incredibly great niches, right? And Mm -hmm. you've seen it evolve from where it used to only be at the register to uh, where it, you know, Chipotle, where you go through the line and then you pay. All of those different evolutions along the way, including the food quality. I mean, whoever thought that you'd be able to find the, the ingredients that we use in in fast casual and the combinations that are put together. And then you talk about layering on the technology as we move all the way through, you know, 20 sort of 10 into the 2015. And then of course we get the pandemic and here we sit today with something that is still really, I I believe what most consumers actually want. Right. I mean, 
there is room for all of us in the industry. However, if you're looking for something that is compelling on a daily basis, fast casual is really something that resonates with the consumer. We were talking before we hit record about how you feel hospitality, the direction that's gone. But it's interesting because like fast casual has really been one of the forebears for so much of the technology that's changed the industry, continues to be a very tech forward category. But I'm getting the vibe from you that, you know, some of this technology for you kind of crosses a line where it takes away that hospitality. So tell me your approach with hospitality and technology and what you make of it changing the fast casual industry. Well, you know, look, I think that obviously every brand has to make decisions for themselves. And I think at some level, um, for me personally, I think about it actually from an um, environmental standpoint. So I think about urban and I think about neighborhoods, right? And, you know, um, as we've seen um, the evolution, um, really we've become way more of a neighborhood community than we have of an urban community. And if you think about the country from coast to coast, um, really, um, I don't know, there's probably arguably arguably less than 10 really viable urban centers anymore in this country. And most of the consumers or most of the people have moved into more suburban. And whether that is true suburban, like I grew up with the sort of white picket fence in the house, or it's just not in an urban, densely populated area. So when you think about that, then you think about the technology that gets layered on that. And that's different for different consumers. For me and the wildflower, we've spent all of our time growing and operating in these neighborhood spaces, right? And so there's a mix of consumers that live there, there's consumers that work there, and there's consumers that are visiting there. And those guests, I believe, want a they want a mix. They want options, okay? Um, however, I think most of them want a guest experience. They want, if they're coming into the restaurant, they don't want to walk up to a kiosk and they don't want to order. Now, if you can't staff the restaurant and you can't have a reasonable put, throughput in the restaurant, mm-hmm. then I think if the consumer really wants to dine there and the food's that good, they'd prefer a kiosk. But really, that's our job as an operator to figure out how to make sure that we have enough staff there or we have enough, as in wildflowers, speak breadheads. That's what we call our employees. We have to have enough of them there so that it's not a pain point because if ultimately the line's too long, um, then they would choose to do something differently, right? So, and, and in the urban setting, I think really that's all about speed of service. And so for an urban consumer... I think whatever is going to get me my food the fastest is what I'm going to gravitate towards. And if I really want some level of hospitality, I'm probably not picking fast casual in an urban center. Where in a neighborhood setting, urban uh, fast casual is really considered an elevated dining experience, basically. And that's where, you know, whether moms meet or there's a business meeting there or friends meet or kids come after school, right? Um, when I went to school, everybody went to school the same time. Nowadays, kids are going to school at all different times. And so you get this whole different, you know, cross-section of consumers that basically want to use the place as they see they want to use it. And I think it's our job, particularly for Fast Casual, we've done a really nice job of meeting the consumer where they want to be met. That, that's probably the key in my mind. Sure. 
So what other things are keeping you up at night these days? There's obviously a lot of challenges in the restaurant industry. What do you find yourself thinking about a lot and spending most of your time on? Yep. So, I mean, I, I think that the, the foremost part is really the supply chain and not really supply chain like we were talking about during the pandemic, but really there is a change in the weather. Um, and I know that um, there may be listeners that don't really know that climate change or don't believe in that, but there's just a shift in the weather. And that shift in the weather is now affecting our raw material supplies. And when raw material supplies are affected, um, that's a real problem for consumers, okay? Um, it's a real problem for restaurateurs that care, right? So you, we have seen, and we still see it these days, where I go to some places and they'll put a sign up that says, well, we're out of this, all right? And we don't know when we're going to have this. And to me, as a restaurateur, that's just unacceptable. I mean, if it's on the menu... I'm supposed to figure out how to have it. And the guest, I don't think, should actually have to care anything about why I don't have it. And I don't think there's enough of that um, commitment, quite frankly, to really delivering the menu as it's advertised to the consumer on a regular basis. And so I'm really concerned. Now, look, our, our farming community, they're innovative. I mean, if you've ever spent any time... I'm in the fields up in Salinas, or you've come down to Yuma, Arizona. I mean, what what they've done with the little water that they get is unbelievable. And so I I believe that we'll we'll adapt and we'll figure it out. Um, But I do think there's some growing pains there. And I think that ultimately, in the end, the consumer ends up suffering from that, as well as the restaurateur, because, look, if i got to pay more, I can pay more for a while. I can't pay more forever. And that leads me to my next point, which is this idea. When I started the Wildflower, I remember my dad's restaurant, literally, right? There were no spreadsheets or computers. And my dad and I, when I was a little older, we used to sit around and obsess about raising prices, like a nickel. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, back then they would serve a cheeseburger deluxe, which came with like a cheeseburger and fries and Probably was like three bucks, and he was afraid to raise it to like three oh five or something like that. And to this day, um, a little bit for me that I have that same fear because I believe that great food should be every day affordable, and I am concerned that. Well, I know. Let me actually step back. I know that the last two or three years of just simply passing on price increases to the consumer, that's gone. Mm-hmm. At least it's gone temporarily. Maybe it's never gone forever, but it surely isn't. You don't hear any operator going, I'm raising my prices three times a year now or four times a year like they were. And so for us at the Wildflower, and I think most restaurateurs, they're concerned about making sure that they simply don't price themselves out of their most loyalist, most loyal you know, guests yep. because it's expensive to eat out. And if then on top of that, if you're not delivering value, and value is different to every consumer, right? Some consumers only care if the bathrooms are clean. Some consumers only care if the food's hot when it's supposed to be hot. But figuring that all out ends up meaning that everything matters because I don't know 
until we get, and I'm really joking, technology where I can chip you and you walk in the door and a big sign goes over your head that says, I care that the salt and pepper shakers are full and clean, and that's what we got to do for that consumer. And the next one comes in and says, I want hot soup or whatever. So we've got to manage all of those things. But really that everyday affordability, because that means that the concept itself is accessible to people. And that's really how you build business, right? I mean, the only way to grow a business is to have consumers come time and time again, right? And the only way they can come time and time again is if they feel that there's real value. And I define real value as everyday affordable. Last piece for me that keeps me up is really just the cost to construct a restaurant. Um, you know, if you – look, we're, we're, we're small in the scope of things, right? Um, I know that Wildflower has built an incredible reputation as a great brand. But let's face it, we're only 16 restaurants. So when we're building a restaurant, I mean, the cost to build over the last 27 years – is increased five, six hundred percent. And, you know, that just makes it incredibly hard because in the end, all the good that we do in the restaurant industry, right, the free training that we give everyone, the development of the employees, the community give back, the charitable giving, the service that you provide to your consumers on a daily basis, all of that only happens if we can make a fair profit. Not, not 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 a huge profit. This isn't you know the get, this isn't the oil industry and this isn't Apple. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I just wasn't smart enough to be in that business. So for me, it goes back to this idea that you gotta be everyday affordable. You gotta make enough money, and then if you can, then the cost to build has to be in line with all of that, or it just doesn't make sense to open new restaurants. And if we stop opening new restaurants. Then there isn't as much competition, and competition is what makes the entrepreneur its best because people thrive on competition. And if you don't thrive on competition, then really, you know, I, I guess from my perspective, um, I, I think there's, you know, I think there's something wrong with that because it's it's how this country was built, and um, I love the competition. I like to win. Yeah. Well, and then I guess the counter to that question is, what do you see as the opportunities for Wildflower in the short term? Well, in the short term, we're going to continue to refine the model, right? Um, Look, I think nowadays with the shift of in-store dining, even in the neighborhoods, right, Um, and to to, to go, whether that's to go on the phone, whether that's to go through an app or a web, whether that's to go through delivery – um, that part of the business has grown, basically. And you have a consumer, particularly a younger consumer, that oftentimes chooses to eat the food outside of the restaurant. So we're all looking for sort of the same size box. Yeah. And that becomes a challenge um, that the real estate industry has to deal with, whether you're building your own restaurants or you're leasing your restaurants. The spaces just aren't as large anymore and um, don't see – the return to these massive size restaurants anytime soon going back to just because how much it costs to build a restaurant and that consumers don't necessarily want to fill it up anymore. Um, So for us, the short term is trying to continue to build out the market. There's plenty of opportunity in Arizona. Um, Look, I've had a dream for 27 years that someday we'll go outside the state. Um, Honestly, I'm getting a little old at this point. Um, no, no less desire 
just uh, your risk profile changes as you, again, we're a family-owned business, so it's not like I'm sharing the risk with anyone. And so, um, and yet, on the other hand, we have such a great group of redheads, and the only way that they grow is by us growing because that's how opportunity is built, right? And so it's really this sort of fine line. As I like to say, look, the great thing about working for a family-owned business is you got access to the founder and the owner, and you know me and I know you. Sometimes we don't grow as quick as as you would like, um, but that's the balancing act. All right, last question for you, Lewis. We are here talking about uh, leadership and investing in people. What does that mean for you and for Wildflower? Well, look, you know, I, I know it's it's really in vogue now, right? Okay, um, but it really should have always been in vogue, and that's and, and I think all the great brands knew that, know that, and have been doing it. It just wasn't talked about as much. So, um, I've worked in a bunch of different companies, and I've been through the whole mission and vision, and nobody ever knew it. You know, it only came out at the once a year strategic offsite. Then it went back in the cabinet or the file cabinet. It was on the wall and nobody really, you know, nobody lived it. Um, At the Wildflower, we made the choice about 13 years ago um, to really change that. And so we have three pieces that we've been practicing now for 13 years. Um, First is a communication tool set called Safe Space. And The name's deceiving, but really it's eight steps to giving anyone the tools to have a respectful, quality conversation with anyone, okay? Not an easy conversation, Mm. but the difficult ones. The easy ones are easy, I mean, okay? It's the hard ones. Hey, I don't like the way you're talking to me, or I don't feel appreciated, or um, I, I have something at home that's bothering me and it's affecting my job. Once you teach people how to communicate properly and receive feedback properly, then you unlock their unbelievable potential, right? So then we have a purpose when at the Wildflower, we believe that we change people's lives, create traditions, build community, and feed the soul with passion every time, every day. Nothing about serving food, hot food, hot, cold food, cold, because ultimately it's a people business. Then you got these 11 values that are, you know, like our railroad track that guide us to the purpose. And ultimately for me, and it's really, really become crystal clear, is I just want anyone that works at the Wildflower, any breadhead, I just want you to come out being a confident person that's respectful and kind and knows how to speak up for themselves, okay? You can also become a great listener, right? Both of those things work together. And then ultimately, if you choose a career in the hospitality business, well, that's just a bonus. But if you just go out and you want to be, I don't care, you want to be a landscaper, you want to be a scientist, you want to be a doctor, if you remember that we gave you a foundation that really allows you to communicate effectively, respectfully, and successfully, then, man, oh, man, we've done really a nice job. And so when you ask me about, you know, sort of leaning into people or leaning into training or leaning into diversity, I mean, look, I've been diverse since the first day I opened the wildflower. Nobody had to tell me 
that it was a good idea to hire all different kinds of people because I want to hire anyone that's interested in embracing the way we do business. Our way isn't the only way. It just happens to be the wildflower way. And if you don't like it, you can leave. It's not, as I like to say, it's not indentured servitude. You're not forced to stay here. If you think we're sort of freaky or you don't like what we're asking you to do, then all you got to do is say, you know what, this isn't for me. If you've been there a while, give us some notice, and then we'll part on the best of terms. And that's the beauty of it. So, um, um, you know, I'm really excited. Um, we're at this Prosper event, and I brought my marketing manager. And this is a dynamic young woman by the name of Sadie Harris. And she's 25 or 26, and she's as bright and as willing to learn as I've met in a long time. And it's really exhilarating and it's really awesome to be able to take somebody that really wants to learn and see the potential be developed in people. And that's what we do every day. That's great. Well, Lewis, thanks so much for taking some time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. That was my interview with Louis Basile, the founder of Wildflower. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my seven takeaways. My first takeaway is that even small innovations can grow into game-changing revolutions. Uh, Lewis has an extensive career in fast casual, not just with Wildflower. He, as he mentioned in the interview, was with Aubon Pan for a while. And Aubon Pan, again, really part of this first generation of fast casuals before they were called fast casuals, that looked to do things a little bit differently. They They were serving higher quality ingredients than was typical in a QSR environment. And I like Lewis pointed out that Aubon Pan was using romaine lettuce when it used to be that all you used was iceberg. And that small detail he pointed out, that was an innovation, but it was a big one because it resets the expectation of what is possible in a counter service setting. And so that small little innovation, romaine instead of iceberg, you do that many times over on a menu, small little innovations, and all of that has built up into the fast casual industry. So small innovations leading to big revolutions. Um, that's such an interesting way to look at a lot of the little changes that you're making in your restaurant, how they can grow into something significant over time. My second takeaway is that fast casual is like fine dining, but giving the guest their time back. Once upon a time, again, going back to Lewis's early days in the category, Fast casual was seen as like fine dining with counter service. And and I think this point that he made was a really interesting one because it's still crucial today. This idea of you're giving the guests their time back. Like fine dining where they, they come to enjoy a great meal, but they don't have the time to sit around for all of that service and all that hospitality. It's important to remember that Customers today are more time-starved than ever before. No, you're not serving a fine dining quality meal, and that's okay. However, consider the fact that part of the reason people turn to fast casual is obviously still for the quality, but also for the fact that they don't want to spend all that time in the dining room receiving that hospitality. Hospitality is still important, but they don't want that grand experience that lasts an hour. They're in a hurry. For time-starved customers, consider the fact that you can give them their time back, but still give them the quality of menu items that they are looking for. My third takeaway is that Fast Casual is a cross-section of American consumers who still expect hospitality. Yes, bringing it back to that hospitality, still important. And, and Lewis is so committed to hospitality. As he mentioned in this interview, and he, he was telling me before we hit record, 
you know, all these technology bells and whistles, they're not really for him. It's not that he's not pursuing technology, smart technology for his operation, but it's just that he doesn't want to replace people with technology. And it's because, as he points out, you know, fast casual is increasingly a suburban neighborhood experience. And in the suburban neighborhoods, especially, you see so many different types of people, all shapes, colors, sizes, all different classes and income levels. And all of these people are looking for a gathering place for a meal, whether that's for a business meeting or for their family or for something else entirely. And when they look for that, they look for hospitality. Yes, again, good food, but they want hospitality. If they wanted something that they could go in, go out, get something cheap and convenient, you know, QSR still remains largely that opportunity. Fast casual, there's still a touch of hospitality that's important. And Lewis, having been in this industry now for 30 plus years, he still sees that hospitality must remain at the core of what you are doing. My fourth takeaway is that restaurant operators should be more worried about the future of supply. When I asked Lewis about what is keeping him up at night, he mentioned climate change. He mentioned the fact that with a warming planet, that supply chain is becoming more unpredictable. And yes, I think we all kind of sort of inherently think about this, but have we stopped to consider that going forward into the future with volatile weather patterns, you might not be able to have that consistency and predictability in your supply and in your menu. Lewis points out that you know customers should not have to be the ones who have to bear the brunt of your men- your restaurant not having something on the menu for a time because you couldn't source it because of whatever weather patterns affected it. Uh, this is a big deal and obviously something we should continue to talk about, uh, but not to place too much worry on you and not to place another uh, something else in the back of your head that's constantly keeping you up at night. But maybe it should be that we talk more openly, honestly, about what's going on with the weather these days with a warming planet and how that's going to affect restaurants down the road and how we can work together to try to do something to reverse that trend. My fifth takeaway is that everyday affordability is the first thing you should worry about when growing your brand. Again, another thing keeping Lewis up at night and another thing for you to think about. This is a good thing to think about, not have to worry too much about. But when he says everyday affordability, what he means by that is essentially the value proposition. Everyday affordability for him means that people should be able to come into your restaurant. And even if you've had to increase prices for inflation, one reason or another, they should still walk into your restaurant and feel like they are getting a good value out of the menu, that they still feel like it's affordable for them. And Lewis worries that at some point, restaurants are going to price out even their most loyal customers. And you have to try to avoid that. You have to try to focus on making sure your prices are in line with what your core demographic expects to pay. If you don't do that, you're going to lose traffic. And what is your restaurant without traffic? So everyday affordability, you know, he he mentioned all those other things that keep him up at night, all these things that are worrying him. But all of those things don't mean anything if you don't have guests. So you have to start with thinking about that everyday affordability. I really like that term that Lewis mentioned. Everyday affordability. What does that mean to your brand? How can you focus on that first and foremost, and then think about the other things that are going to uh, drive your guests into the restaurants, keep them coming back for more. My sixth takeaway is that your building costs have to be in line with your value proposition. So again, going back to this concept of everyday affordability, keeping your prices so that they are uh, you know, still a strong value, still providing a strong value to your guests. You're not pricing out your loyal guests. 
but while you do that, if you look over here and you look at your building costs, and for Lewis, who's been in this business now for three decades, he says he's seen them increase by 600%, the building costs. I'm sure you've seen that yourself. You've seen the skyrocketing costs of, of build-outs. And the problem is you have to balance those two things. You have to balance your costs, and most especially your build-out costs, uh, but even your operating costs, of course. You have to balance those with that everyday affordability. And if you can't do that, you're not going to be a restaurant anymore. The fact of the matter is, is you're, you're going to close. Profit margin already very thin. And um, so Lewis in that com part of the conversation was just mentioning that, you know, build-out costs being kind of that first big cost that, you know, to open a restaurant, you have to really kind of rein that in if your operating costs are also elevated and you can't keep the prices at that everyday affordability that you want to, to keep your guests coming in. Um, consider that because if you're throwing all this money into your build out, driving up your costs, if you can't, if you have to pass that cost onto your customer, they're not going to come. And then all of that build out was for nothing. My seventh and final takeaway is that by teaching your people to communicate and receive feedback, you can unlock their potential. I loved this. This was almost a direct quote from Lewis uh, toward the end of our conversation. And we were at the Prosper Forum in Florida, which you've heard now multiple conversations that I had there with leaders. We were really talking about in that conference the, the uh, concept of leadership and people development. Wildflower is very intent on developing its people to really set them up for success in life. I really appreciated how Lewis says they're, you know, intentional about um, their core values, really pouring into their people and teaching them how they can be successful both in the wildflower restaurants and out of the wildflower restaurants. But this line in particular that he says about teaching them to communicate and to receive feedback properly, those two things are so empowering. You give people confidence in themselves and you give them the power to have productive conversations. And for restaurant employees, that's a really important thing. So consider for yourself as you invest in your own people, are you starting with simple communication? Do your people know how to communicate? Do they know how to receive feedback? Because if they do, then like Lewis says, you can really unlock their potential. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.